On Sunday mornings at Northside, we have been in a series called Just Like Jesus, and we are endeavoring within that series to emulate, to practice, to uh, put into our lives some of the ways in which Jesus lived. Now, of course, if you're thoughtful about it, you understand that Jesus was perfect, that he lived a perfect life. The scriptures say that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet... He was without sin. So you say, well, this is, sounds like a, a very high standard for a sermon series. How in the world do you expect me to be perfect? Now, I want to clarify, I, we have no expectation of being perfect. What we're looking at are the parts of life, of Jesus' own life, where we can ourselves model after him. First John chapter 2, verses 5-6 through six says, but if... Anyone obeys his word, love for God is fully, truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as he lived, must, as some translations say, must walk as he walked. So we've talked about the ways in which Jesus has lived and his example for us. First, we said you have to humble yourself like Jesus did. You have to be able to lay your life down for others. You have to be willing to serve others. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to be a servant. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus developed disciples. And I give you a challenge there, the 33% challenge, to think about the people in your life who developed you or who you are developing and leading closer to Jesus. And I've been so encouraged by the stories of people who have shared these Bibles, Northside members who have taken one of these Bibles. They know someone in their family, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend that they need to have the conversation with. And they've used this as a point of saying, you know, I just can't go any farther without saying, are you sure that you are going to heaven? If you are not 100% sure, I'd like to tell you about how you can, and they've uh, been courageously stepping out on faith and working to develop disciples. It was written in 1895. It was a poem based on a failed Jameson raid. It was a military raid that, that failed tremendously. And in reading about it, Rudyard Kipling, the famed poet, wrote these words, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired and waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can come together and remember the rest of the poem, if you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same. 
If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. If you can bear to watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on a turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings. And never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and your nerve and your sinew to serve your turn long after they're gone. And so hold on when there is nothing within you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue. Or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, yet none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, then yours is the earth and all that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man. My son, Rudyard Kipling understood that failure is part of life, that making mistakes is part of the human experience. And I understand some people believe that failure is not an option. But when you're a human being, failure is often the only option. Uh, Just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever failed, made a mistake, messed up or sinned? Rudyard understood that it happens to all of us. We all mess up, that we all fall short, that we all make mistakes. And yet, in those times, we have only one option. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The option, the example that Jesus led himself, is that we must press on. The first example of Jesus is that we must press on to what lies ahead. Look in the book of Luke, there in chapter 9. And by the way, if you're not joining us or you haven't joined us on Sunday nights, we're in a textual study going through the book of Luke. And if you enjoy textual studies, you uh, are certainly invited and welcome to join us Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Luke records this. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, He set his face to go on to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went ahead and entered the village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. You see, Jesus could have fallen prey to a lot of other people's goals, to other people's dreams, to other people's missions. People had a lot of expectations of Jesus. Jesus knew he only had one mission and that he must be committed to that mission, even if it meant, as the Samaritans here, that some would reject him, even if it meant that some would walk away from him. He set his face resolutely toward the city in which he would be killed. He pressed on to what lied ahead, regardless of the temptations he faced, regardless of the 
objections that he received from his own disciples, regardless of the crowds that amassed, regardless of the fact that they wanted to make him king, Jesus knew he had to press on to what lied ahead, to the cross. The Apostle Paul is a a little more relatable example. He was very religious. And he believed that because of his religiosity, because of his, his zealousness, because of his relig- uh, legalistic righteousness, that he could uh, attain godliness. But when he learned that the only way to truly attain righteousness was through Jesus, listen to what he said of his past. But whatever I gain, this is Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. May we understand that though we all raised our hands, we've got to put those things behind us, repent, and move forward toward what lies ahead. That God isn't done with you yet. If you're still on this side of the dirt, God has a purpose for you. So you've got to get up. You've got to get on with it. You've got to move forward and press on to what lies ahead. As we think about Jesus, then, we must realize it's so important. I mean, I've realized that victimization is so popular in our culture. I mean, everybody's racing to the bottom to see who's been victimized and how much they've been victimized. But don't be a victim. Jesus did not call you to be a victim. He called you to be a victor. So do not focus on what's happened to you, but remember what God is doing in you. May we not forget to press forward. The second reason that we're reminded to press forward is to... Press on so that we may finish well. Jesus came to finish the mission of God for us. Uh, Go to Luke, because I'm quite familiar with Luke these days. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 spells out very, very clearly what the mission of Jesus was, as Jesus himself said it. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save 
the lost. You understand if Jesus didn't focus on mission, he could have easily become distracted. You understand that if Jesus wanted to save himself, he absolutely could have. But he couldn't do that and save us too. And so he focused and he kept his mind and his heart all the way on mission. John chapter 19 records that at the very end of his life, while Jesus hung from a cross as he was beaten and bloodied, and no doubt gasping for every breath which he took, which would have filled with pain every time he filled his lungs, with his last breath cried out, It is finished. And with that he bowed him his head and he gave up his spirit. You see, that was the mission of God and only Jesus could finish the mission of God for us. And so we must also choose today... To let Jesus finish the mission of God within us. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. We have several craftsmen and artists and at Northside. A couple of weeks ago, Tyler and I went to visit one of them, Luke Campbell, uh, we went down into the basement where there at Carpenter Place he has a shop that he's and his specialty is turning things on the lathe. We were over there. He was showing me how that works and how to do it, the process that he used, the woods that he has, the 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 tri, trial and error of that process, and of course, what what we love to see uh, when Luke is so kind to share is the finished product the beautiful cup or the the vase or the bowl or or whatever it is he's producing. But he has many other pieces in his shop that are at various stages in the process. And as I was thinking about his shop, I was thinking about this place, this church, as the master's shop. That he has a vision in mind, a picture of what he wants to do in you. But... Depending on your willingness, my willingness, depending on how soft our heart is or how hard it might be, to depend on whether or not we'll let him work within us, you and I are works in progress. Sometimes we think about Jesus, we think about Paul, maybe you think of other people at Northside, and you compare your journey to where they are and God didn't call you to that. He called you to consider the purpose and the mission that he has for you. So may we not sell him short. May we remember that we are works in progress. Many months ago, my wife entered a a 5K, also a carpenter place. What was interesting to me about that 5K is that we all started together. There was a mass of people there on the driveway, and as they began the race, of course, those of us with great athleticism, such as your preacher, uh, just took off and just were almost running in, in a pace all by themselves, and then there were the slower turtles behind them. But the farther along the race went, what happened is there began to be the groups of the excellent runners and the so-so runners and the completely 
unathletic, just kind of there for support and just walking. That's actually where I was. There were groups of people all according to their own level. And sometimes we mistake that in Christianity, I've got to be at the front. I've got to be first to the finish line. And God forgive us for having such a thought. It's in a race that all the runners run, but we run it away as to get the prize to finish the race. We are called not to be first, but to finish to win by finishing the race, and that's a choice that's left up to us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the scripture that Shannon read for you this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen to this. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The race is not a sprint. The race is a marathon. It's not just 5K or 10K or half a marathon or full marathon. It's a lifetime marathon. And we, the scripture says, in order to finish, must focus on the one who is very first in the race, on the true finisher, Jesus the Christ. When we consider his example, he stayed on mission despite being misunderstood. Jesus persevered through difficulty and rejection and suffering. He, he absolutely remained steadfast in mockery and beatings all the way to the cross as he hung there, bleeding and dehydrated and gasping for air. And his heart literally beating must have been through his chest. He finished. Why did he do that? Because he needed to finish? He did that for you and I. He finished so that we might be able to finish. And I, I, and I realize we've all got stuff that we're going through. But, but let me tell you this morning, if you are in Christ, whatever you face, whatever you're going through, whatever kept you this morning and you were thinking like, I don't really feel like going to church and I'm not sure I want to. And you just, you're on that that, that sense whether you were going to even come or not because of what you're going through and the burdens you're carrying and the sin that you're struggling with and the temptations that you face, you need to know that if you'll finish with Jesus, that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when you hear his voice say, well done, good and faithful servant, that Everything that you have faced will fade instantaneously into nothing. Now it seems heavy and burdensome. Now sometimes it feels like, Lord, how can I even go one step further? But Jesus says, keep going. In addition to that, there are those who have already finished. Some who you know, some maybe you don't. Men like Pete Titus and like Louis Tandy. 
and Gail Black. People that have finished the race, that now stand at the sidelines, sitting in that eternal stadium, just cheering you on, finish, go, there is such a great reward at the end of the finish line, don't give up, don't stop, don't sit out, keep going. May we run then with endurance. Those encouragers, our cloud of witnesses, remind us also of this final point, that we must press on together. You and I are not running alone. We are surrounded. I mean, we think about all of those who've gone on before, all of those who've gone on to victory, but I want you to to think for just a moment that you are surrounded right now with people who are running their race and who run with you. I, I need some audience participation this morning. I know, I know. Preacher, don't do this. Bear with me. I'm going, to add, I'm going to read a series of statements. And if those series of statements apply to you, I'm just going to ask you very simply to stand right where you are. If you are here this morning and you have lost someone that you loved very deeply, and deal with grief and mourning daily, weekly, monthly, please stand. If you have faced or are facing cancer, please stand. If you have wrestled with temptation or addiction, please stand. If you have lost a job, Unexpectedly, please stand. If you have been persecuted for your faith, ridiculed because of following Jesus, please stand up. If you've doubted or you've wandered from Jesus and you've wondered, if, it, if it, is it really all it's cracked up to be? It, is he really there? Does he really care? If you've ever struggled with doubt, please stand. If you suffer with constant physical pain, please stand. If you've ever been overwhelmed with fear or worry or anxiety, please stand. If you've ever struggled in your marriage or your family or dysfunction in your family, please stand. Now look around and understand that there is a reason that God gave us the church, the beautiful and yet flawed body of Christ, the bride which he bought with his own blood. And we are together for a reason. There are people today that they say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church, which is about the most selfish, spiritually immature, misguided thing I've ever heard in my life. It's spiritual navel-gazing. Well, I like to think about myself sometimes, but that's it. I do understand that God needed us to understand that we are not in this race alone, that we run together with other people who have the same struggles, and that one of the ways the enemy works is he tries, tries to get you to think you're all by yourself. 
No one at church would understand what you're going through. No one would understand the struggles that you face. No one carries the burdens that you face. No one has the burdens and the load on them that you do. And what it is is he isolates you and he gets you off, off by yourself and feeling like you're all alone. Boy, sin can really grow when you're all alone. But when you come to church and you stand with people who struggle as you have struggled and struggle in the ways you struggle and you realize they're not giving up, you're encouraged to not give up. That we don't run this race alone, that we run it with perseverance. You may have a seat. And while you're being seated, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. And listen to what the writer of Hebrews said to us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another, how to love, uh, how to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Some spiritual legalists have misused and abused Hebrews 10.25 to say, well, what we need to do is cross our arms and make a list and look for who's not here every Sunday, every Wednesday, and check them off if they're not because they are forsaking the assembly, and that is radically mis- that is spiritual abuse. The point of Hebrews ten twenty three through twenty five is so that as a part of a family, as a part of a body, you look for one another, you encourage one another. When you see someone and you know they're going through something, you say, "It's really good to see you. I know what you're going through." I'll be praying for you, or, or even better, just stop and say, let me pray with you. Do, you. do you understand that we press on, that Jesus called us to press forward together? Don't give up. Don't let what you're facing keep you from finishing. Let's watch the story of Young athlete pushing the limits of a crippling disease, running for as long as she can, and that inspirational moment of triumph in one of her last high school races. Here's ABC's John Donvan. Good job, Kayla! At the end of every high school varsity meet Kayla Montgomery has ever run, she has always come in over the finish line in a crumple. You're seeing her literally at a point when she can't feel anything in her legs. Beautiful, girl. The key of this paradox being Kayla's determination and a nerve disease called multiple sclerosis. Four years ago, this one-time elite soccer player began to lose feeling in her feet and legs and was told that MS would likely leave her someday unable to move, period. I was mad. I was uh, really mad. But Kayla took that mad and decided that she was going to run while she still could. Although starting out, she was how fast? I was, uh, I was kind of slow. Average. At best. That's Patrick Cromwell, the coach who took her on and watched her get faster and faster. Faster. And who was always there at the finish. 
And here's why. When Kayla runs, the natural increase in her body temperature temporarily gives the MS the edge again. In the last part of races, Kayla has lost all feeling below her waist. She lacks the control to slow to a stop. And the reason her cries are so urgent is that with water, with cooling, she can feel again. We got it. And then in her last high school race ever, she's in the gold shirt. Come on, come on, this bad break. You gotta go now, Kayla! She did get back into it, and she moved up, and then this. 3,200 meter on champion. And for a final time, the finish line and the help. I got you. And by the time of the ceremony, she can feel, well, everything. John Donvan, ABC News, Washington. No matter where you are in your race, may I encourage you this morning to press on and to keep going. And if you've fallen, don't give up. Get up. Get up and get back in the race. Don't quit. Don't stop. Jesus needs you to finish. And you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who want you to finish too. And if you're here this morning and you've given up or you're this close to giving up, can I invite you this morning just to meet me or one of our shepherds down on the front row and say, I'm this close to giving up. I need some encouragement. I need some prayer. I need some help. That's what the church is designed to be for one another. So may we persevere with all you have to the very last step of the race through the finish line, and straight into the arms of Jesus. May we run toward Him. May we encourage our fellow runners. If we can do that this morning, we, we want to do that and help you and be what the church was intended to be. But let me say one more word. If you're not in Jesus, you're not in the race. And your race needs to begin today. And so you can start that race today by repenting of your sin, turning away and say, I'm all in this race. I'm all in. I'm running to the very end with Jesus. Jesus said, you'll believe and you'll be baptized. Off goes the starting gun. And your race with Jesus can begin today. If you need to start the race or you've been sitting on the sidelines, it's time to get back in. Tonight can be, this morning can be the opportunity where you begin that. If you have a need this morning, please come as together we stand and sing.